1: It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Frunelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Canal, I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com cover3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand, Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like and come and join us in the chat. Chat's been going for hours. uh, Fired up about this Wednesday, which is Big Game Breakdown. We are going to be looking at some of the matchups to watch. X-Factor's biggest storylines. Going a little nitty-gritty because Thursday, I mean so many locks and so little time this is our chance to be able to to really dig in on some of the biggest games of the weekend that we begin with some headlines including news that is breaking here this wednesday morning uh, jimbo fisher texas a&m head coach will be on the sec teleconference shortly it is um i don't know about expected but i'm expecting that he will have an update on quarterback Connor Wegman who according to multiple reports could be out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. Now, Texas A&M does have a quality backup in Max Johnson. This is not, you know, the end of Texas A&M's season. Danny, what's the what does the loss of Wegman mean in terms of the way that you're looking at the Aggies offense?
2: They'll be a little bit more pocket passer centric. You know, I think Wegman clearly was more athletic, but I love this story and not, I'm, I'm biased because Brad Johnson is a friend of mine, you know, I'm friends with the family. I don't know Max, but I think he's a more than like this might be one of the best backup situations you could find yourself in, in the entire country. And I think it showed in the game on Saturday when you didn't see really any drop off and you actually saw the offense kind of settle in and he, you know, played great. So I still like the Aggies in the SEC West to start the season. This doesn't really deter me that much from it. you know. And I think that's one of the advantages we're getting a fresh face in there is that Petrino has worked with a lot of different styles of quarterbacks too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he coached Lamar Jackson. He's coached pocket passers. He's kind of done it with a lot of different guys. So, yeah, you never want to lose your starter. But if there was ever any team as far as offense, coaching, and depth, I think this is the team where you're like, all right, let's see what let's see how it goes and you're not devastated like some schools would be
3: yeah I think Danny nailed it I mean it's it hurts but they do have one of the best backup situations in the country. Uh, there's a lot of teams in, in the SC West who don't appear to be very competitive this year so I would expect AM just based on how they played at Miami um, to and the lack of quality passers in the West this year uh, to still have one of the better passing games in the SEC. Right, like I, I think Max Johnson is potentially a top half passer in the SEC, just because was, there's so many quarterbacks say, who aren't so, very good.
0: So where where is we've gone from Connor Wegman to Max Johnson? Like, does Texas A and M's quarterback still rank better than how many SEC quarterbacks?
3: Well, see, it's interesting to, to parse it out. Like, quarterback first passing game, sure, mm-hmm. because right? you've got
0: wide receivers at Texas A and M that are better than wide receivers at a lot of places.
3: Correct. Yeah, uh, it's probably premature to say he's a top half quarterback. I 100% still believe that a is still a top-half passing game in this conference.
1: See, I, I think it's a bigger deal. It's, it's nothing about Max Johnson. I think that the one key thing that you know Danny touched on, Wegman is a lot more mobile than Johnson is, and I think if you're a defense, it is a lot harder to game plan for a team that has a quarterback who can move around because you can do everything right, and then that guy just takes off and bang, he picks up a first down. With Johnson, you can prepare a lot differently to stop those wide receivers than you could with Meg Wegman back there because you don't really have to worry about him using his legs to, you know, kill you and extend drives. Not to say he can't, but he's just not the same kind of threat doing so. So I do think it hurts their ceiling, but you're right. I still think when you look around the SEC, this is probably still going to be, you know, at least an average passing offense in that league and in that division. So I don't completely rule them out, but I do I do think this probably ends all chances of them winning that division.
0: So Texas A&M is going to be playing in Jerry world against Arkansas. These games are nuts. They do not make any sense. They seem to exist on an Island within a season, Texas A&M a six and a half point favorite in that game. The hogs of course went, just went down to tiger stadium and put a scare into LSU. They needed a field goal with less than 30 seconds left to get out of there. Do you give uh, Arkansas a chance to pull an upset against the now Max Johnson led Aggies?
3: I I think the number is good. Um, Personally, I'm I'm not betting the side. If this gets steamed because of of this injury, I probably will bet some Texas A&M. Texas A&M has not been a trustworthy football program under Jimbo Fisher, to say the least. I still think they should be favored because they have better players than than Arkansas does and, and probably better coaching overall. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly like he is a backup. We, we, we all might think it's a minimal drop off, but there's some drop off. There's a reason why the guy won the starting job, uh, and it is his first start. So Arkansas has a real D line. Arkansas's DB so far this year have been torched, uh, largely by anybody with a pulse. So we'll see how that goes. But honestly, like A&M hasn't really covered anybody either. So <laughs> yeah, they got a shot.
0: Um, and is this Steve Adazio's fault?
1: <laughs> sure, yeah, it's all Adasio. Because
0: fault. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the foot injury because an offensive lineman stepped on his foot?
3: Yeah, yeah. And I mean,
0: isn't like- the offensive line coach Steve Adazio?
3: If Jimbo had just run on the field and blocked the offensive lineman from stepping on his foot, like ultimately, <laughs> doesn't it all come back to the head coach? If he
0: shows a willingness to try, try no, to no, no. Auburn, guys. I just want to blame it on Steve Adazio. Just <laughs> okay. as a matter <laughs> of personal <laughs> <laughs> preference, I just thought that this would be an interesting place to place the blame at the feet of Steve Adazio.
1: It is. it's do you it's guys know? We're supposed to protect the QB, and we hurt the QB. <laughs> I
2: mean, come on. Do you guys know how often this happens and how bad it hurts? When they get you. Oh, like, oh yeah. like especially if you get the offensive line and where's the screw in spikes, which I always couldn't stand. I wanted the molded cleats because they were easier. Like if they did step on you, but you know how many like big toes and toenails that I lost because <laughs> once they step on, them, like, it's done. Forget it. And then you come and you'd wake up like Sunday morning or Monday morning and you'd see the black and blue nail and you'd just be like, oh, great. This is going to be fun. And then they have to drill like with a tiny pin. They poke a hole in it, to try to bleed it out, and then it's it dry. It is the worst. But I dodged it because I didn't break, and break a foot. I didn't break anything. You know, I wasn't out for a season. It was just a pain tolerance thing. So the. I
1: remember my, my sophomore year of high school, I had an ingrown toenail on my big toe on my right foot. And I played the entire season with it because to have it removed, I would have had to miss a couple of weeks. But the surgery to get that thing removed and getting like a shot in your toe was one of the most excruciating things I have ever felt because that is nothing but bone, man. It was terrible.
0: Um, chat's informing Mimi that it was an Auburn defensive lineman, not his own offensive lineman okay. who stepped on his toe. So Steve Adazio,
1: I still He's blame you. For, they they no, wait, wait. Him.
0: He's still on the hook for Colorado <laughs> state. All right? For leaving a smoldering ashes of a football program, uh, that they're still trying to rebuild there in Fort Collins. Um, all right another news headline that came out of the week there was a college football playoff meeting to discuss the future format michael Resco, the american athletic conference uh, commissioner came out and you know made a lot of waves talking about a new five plus seven uh format instead of a six plus six that would be the five highest ranked conference champions according to the college football playoff selection committee plus seven at larges uh it he has clarified this again as of Wednesday morning saying, "Oh no, 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 I was I was talking about the 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 future, you know, like the 2025 deal because right now we only have 2 years that we've really been agreed to. Greg Sankey after the Pac-12 really started getting picked apart said that they need to review this. Do you think that the college football playoff should or will change from the 6 plus 6, let's say first for the uh, immediate future?" beginning next season
1: tom no you think it it should not and will not oh i think it's going to change i don't you're asking the wrong person about what they should do chip let's let's (laughs) go back Um, to two (laughs) (laughs) Um, like they're going to change it because there's going to be four conferences that truly matter in a couple of years. And so they're not going to, they're going to do five at most. And even then, I'm not entirely sure that that fifth, that G5 school is going to keep that spot forever. So, yeah, there will be changes. And the only reason they haven't made the decision is because they don't know what the leagues and conferences are going to look like just yet, because they're still expecting there to be more movement. I mean, if the conference commissioners are getting together and can't decide and they're saying we're putting it off, that means the people who are in charge of deciding who's going to be where are still deciding who's going to be where. That's what I take away from it. You button one, but oh, sorry. (laughs) um,
3: They'll go to the lowest number of auto bids that they can feasibly get away with first, avoiding antitrust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and as soon as possible. They were at six because that basically is throwing a bone, likely to you know one, one of the G5s, right? If they need, if they think they can go to five, they will. Judging based on like who oh. tweeted out the likelihood of, of the five, uh, I kind of lean that they will do it soon.
0: I I think we'll go six plus six for two years, and that's a great that is great news for Boise State and um, James State. Madison, you know, Georgia State, Tulane. Like the, there are going to be more opportunities for schools that are not in power conferences for two years, and then it's going to change. By the Washington time that, state,
3: Oregon State, yeah, mm-hmm. for I sure. Mean, like,
2: <laughs> so, are, are they going to hold on to their? I don't know. It's yeah, well, that, of that's the interesting. It is kind of interesting, like what happens next year. Do they cling on to the Pac-12 name and brand? Is that in? Is that in stone? Can they do that? If they stay at six, they damn sure better. Well,
0: so the but the right. model as it was set up was not tied specifically to the Power Five. So they at True. least have Piles that five. where it's like just the highest ranked conference champion. So whether it is the Pac-12, the Pac-Mountain, or like whatever it looks like, it's more of a numbers game the way that I look at it, where it's just more opportunities for you to be able to get into the 12-team bracket than probably what will happen when they get a chance to start over. Uh, One interesting note from...
2: uh, Go ahead. I was going to ask, if a G5 conference champ in the first two years gets in and pulls off an upset, is that more or less likely to make it change in the future? More. Because of the I think threat?
1: A, I think it'd be about the same. I mean, I- doesn't matter. I do think a G5 team will pull off a first round upset. Because like, if yeah. you look at some of the projections this year that people are doing right now, it's like, you look at the G5 team that they're, like Fresno, it's usually Fresno against a team that I think Fresno has the ability to beat once in a while. So, I think you'll see it, but it's just, I, know, I don't think you're really going to see a whole lot of them in the second round. I think it would be a G5 team making a run to like the final four. Mm-hmm. That would probably be what led to them making changes in the model if they do it.
0: Or, I mean, the they might be able to point to that and say, see, it's the perfect model. Like, be able That's to. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, promote yeah. it as like, this is exactly what we wanted to accomplish with this, you know?
1: Yeah, but you say a lot of things publicly while behind the scenes saying, we can't let this happen again. Look at the TV ratings for this game. Nobody wanted to watch it. <sighs> okay, <I don't>... Lee. <laughs> I'm saying that's. Are we denying these are the conversations that will be had? No, oh, for sure. Dude. Yeah, the, the the networks run the sport.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, good. we love the Cinderella. We can't have this happening. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how competitive they are. All right? You could you could find you
0: know, find the right matchup. I mean, you just need big brand that isn't as good versus a Cinderella team that's running hot.
1: Colorado is going to be the first six and 6-6 six team to reach the college football playoff. We just really respect their uh, resume. I test,
2: <laughs> Lots of eyes tests. Travis Hunter was out for three games.
0: Yeah, you got to take that. You can't. You cannot penalize Colorado for the losses because Travis Hunter wasn't in the lineup, all right? Yep. So if you take yep. those games out, that's a one-loss team. Because mm-hmm. They're an eight-win team, remember? Mm-hmm. As I told you, they're going to be an eight-and-four team.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, you saw the new updated up, DraftKings or the, uh, the the new win totals?
0: No, what is it? Five and, Five and, half? and a half. Yeah, that's I a think good. They number. get over. Yeah,
2: perfect number. They could. I don't. Yeah. They could. I mean, they could win, get over.
3: Yeah. They, I, I kind of hope a, they make a bowl.
0: Arizona State, Arizona. After State. After all
3: this hype, better make a bowl. <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't you have a, a deal? Like I don't. I do. Don't I, don't do. I, got, I got. fifty to one. Yeah. You got fifty to one. <laughs> On oh, then and making Cal- a bowl, so I'm. Colorado would get a bowl. So yeah, Colorado. Yes,
3: listen. I don't care about this weekend. I need you to win these winnable games.
0: Listen. Uh, Bud Elliott has been widely criticized as a Colorado hater, and the man has done some trolling. But never say that he's not invested in Colorado making it to a bowl game. That man is invested. Oh. Yeah. Coming up on the other side, Tom Fernelli writes a weekly column. I like to call it Big Time, and it looks at the Big Ten. And he had an interesting proposal that caught me dead in my tracks. Iowa's offense has actually improved.
4: He'll explain. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. So, Tom, you even uh, you sent out a tweet. You sent a message to coworkers and loved ones. You said, I'm about to do a deep dive on Iowa's offense. Thoughts and prayers. If you haven't heard from me in three hours, please reach out. Um, you have come back with a deep study what did you learn about this offense that has 14 receptions from wide receivers so far
1: this year? Oh, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm excited. Everything is heading in the right direction. A couple of years from now, we're going to be an average offense. Um, like, If you look at the basic numbers, first of all, last year, Iowa's offense scored 14.15 points per game. That does not include the defense. 14.15 points per game. This year's offense is scoring 19 points per game. That's five more points than before. But that is a result. I wanted to look closer at the process, and I went into a bunch of little defensive or offensive categories. I looked at success rate, passing success rate, rushing success rate, EPA per play, pass EPA, rush EPA, explosive play rate, points per possession, yards per play, turnover rate. I was better in eight of those 10 stats. The only two that it has gotten worse in are the turnover rate. They're turning the ball over more often than not. And uh, I can't the uh, the where did it go? I can't remember the other one they're worse than I think. No, it was pass passing success rate, which oh, I was yeah. surprised considering 14. <laughs> but it's it's what was interesting to me again The bottom line is the offense is improving. It is still terrible. Like, if you look at the percentile marks for all of these stats, none of them are higher than 37th percentile. So it is still a well below average offense at the FBS level. But what surprised me more than anything was – You'd think like the offseason was all spent talking about, all right, we're going to change things up. We're bringing in Cade McNamara. We're bringing in Eric All. We're bringing in the new wide receivers. We're going to be able to have a modern passing offense. And the passing offense is worse. But what's gotten a lot better is running the ball. They have been able to do it. They were third th- in the 3.8th percentile last year in rushing success rate. They're up to 31.1 this year. EPA per rush, they were four point six last year. They're up to thirty seventh percentile this year. Like to me, that is a good sign. In that, the, if you're going to play the way Iowa is playing, you need to be able to run the ball. And I think that part of the problems they've had the last couple of years is that they couldn't run the ball, and it completely derailed what they try to do, which is you know control the clock, control the field position, don't screw up, play good defense. Problem is, they're not doing enough of the rest, and you know, Like I wrote in the column, there's two ways you can look at this. One is that the season, they haven't gone through their Big Ten schedule yet. So odds are the numbers are going to get worse because the schedule is about to get a bit tougher. But you can also look at it and say, hey, well, we are improving in some things. So bottom line, Iowa's offense is getting better this year. Iowa's offense still sucks.
3: I looked into this because I was seeing some of the same numbers that Tom was. And Tom's numbers are 100% correct. I hope so. The reason I think that this offense is actually materially worse than last year, like I, I, my eyes weren't matching up with what the numbers told me, is that they have played two of the worst defenses in the G5 who also happen to be tempo teams, right? So like is getting a lot more at-bats in those games than they would in a normal type situation. Also, like if you look at the quotes out of yesterday's press conferences, Cade McNamara was asked about like throwing the ball to receivers because, again, Army's receivers have about double the catches that Iowa's do this year. And he's like, Yeah, that that's not really like my thing. Like, I'm not the offensive coordinator. I I don't I don't call the plays. McNamara has big time, like, got the NIL bag, cool, got paid whatever energy right now. If you like watch his press conference, and that's a stark departure from in the preseason. He was like, Please keep calling us the worst offense in the country. Like he had a lot of bravado to him. Now he's just like resigned to oh my god, we suck. And then Kirk Ferentz was asked like, about getting the receivers more involved. He's like, "Yeah, that, that could be a good idea." Like, like, I'm like, dude, the only way they could be less involved is, is if they were suspended. So, they really, I, I worry that I was going to quit on offense. I really do. Like the like the their body language was terrible against Penn State. I don't think that they trust in this coaching staff at all. Um, I'm pretty worried about them. I, I think Michigan State's going to beat them this weekend in Kennick. Michigan State can stop the run. Like they yeah. look inc- they look like just they look broken. That would be bad. If
2: they Who wants bad. it more? This is the <laughs> game. I, was, I mean, look,
3: everybody who could have quit Michigan State already had the opportunity to do so. We are seeing this a lot. Guys are like, all right, played my four games, got a red shirt. Coaching staff wasn't truthful with me as far as how much playing time I was going to get, blah, blah, blah. If you're still on Michigan State at this point, gotta assume you want to play.
0: The stories being written from the Iowa beat this week are focused on the wide receivers, their lack of catches, how that hurts recruiting wide receivers, and how the Big Ten, in adding, hello, Washington, Oregon, USC, and UCLA, how are you going to be able to score enough points to keep up? Will classic Iowa football be able to You know, have you even as an eight win program in the new Big Ten, because the new Big Ten is only going to be leaning more into offenses that are going to put up points and throw the ball around. So the reason why things are are really coming out and the quotes are coming out, it sounds like that is the theme right now for those that are in all of those press conferences and around that program every single day, whenever whenever Brian allows them to Um, like that's that's an interesting crossroads here in terms of how they want to handle business, how they want to call games.
3: It's bad. Uh, their, their, their receiver recruiting has really kind of cratered over the last couple of years, and I think it's just because they don't use them, right? I, the, the, the real nail in the coffin uh, was Jones last year, transferring from Iowa, where, where he really wasn't used at all, and then he had 144 targets at Purdue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's not like there wasn't any talent, but I, no, now they go. recruit at like, at like an upper Mac level at receiver. They basically go and take like the best kid who was going to go to like Toledo or, or Ohio. Like they're not, they're not winning recruiting, bat- not many recruiting battles at receiver for guys that other good passing offenses really want. There's a reason for that because kids have televisions and YouTube and they, they can, and
1: Google and they can see like the Iowa's offense doesn't care about its receivers. I have, I have seen an uptick in Iowa fans kind of wish casting that, as you mentioned, Chip, UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon are coming. Some Iowa fans are looking at what is going on this year and convincing themselves that what's happening is Kirk Ferentz is going to retire at the end of the season because NIL, all this stuff, the changing Big Ten, he does not want to be a part of it. And they're just kind of coasting. I I have nothing to support this theory, but that's what I hear. But fans that is are the coming.
0: vibe of an Iowa fan who is trying mm-hmm. to wish cast a way out of this situation.
1: Correct. It's the vibes are. Terrible in Iowa. City you know
2: right now. You know what's great, and it keeps getting better. The Brian Ferent deep fakes. Did you guys see this latest one from Penn State? No way. Oh, it's like a. Oh, have you seen thing. it? It's. Oh, great. it's because cla- he's. Uh, he's like you know. First of all, he blames the defense because they had opportunities. They had not ninety five <laughs> plays. Why didn't they score? It's a team game. But then, like the closer, the closer is. It's like it's a dangerous place to go to Florida start to go to Penn State. And then he's talking about the showers. Like it gets a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it was,
1: <laughs> it's extreme.
2: You need to oh, go. How many How many people to...
1: thought it was real this week?
2: <laughs> well, that's the good, they have to put in something so crazy. Cause it is so good yeah. that you can delineate the difference. Cause if they got asked one, you didn't did stop not able last to week,
1: difference. didn't You're, stop right. last week when he was telling <laughs> people to crawl out of his ass. People thought it was a real quote. <laughs> his dad got asked about it. Yeah. I, I did. I wrote in the Monday after I talked because the, the lead of my column in the Monday after this week was about like coaches convincing their players that they're being disrespected. And I talked to a coach and the, he had a great point. He said, do you remember the Brian Ferentz video that went out last week? How many reporters thought that was real? He's like, you can convince anybody. Anything is real if that's what they want to believe. He's like, it's not." he was going on about how, you know, they motivate their players. But it's an excellent point.
0: Hey, listen, somebody said that George is going six and six, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Kirby was way out in front of the AI. Game? Georgia's the
3: best, Like maybe they're their in-house AI like like media productions.
0: Well, that was I thought that that's what you all, you said last year when we were discussing that in the wake of the National Championship is that Georgia is so advanced that they have fake reporters putting out fake articles to send to their players to motivate them cuz that's what you have to do when you're the Georgia
1: Bulldogs. Does Georgia have a journalism school? Maybe that's what they're doing.
0: They do. <laughs> yeah, they, have a, okay. they have a really okay. good journalism
1: school. So there we go.
0: All right. Uh, one last question to put a button on this. Ryan says, Iowa's offense or Oklahoma State's offense? Oh, State of dudes are
1: checked call. out. Oklahoma State's offense? Easily.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. I mean, Oklahoma State's got like seven quarterbacks. <laughs> 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 they use them
3: all. Iowa had 33 plays. I mean, the, the only... Yeah, but I don't think Oklahoma looked- State's
1: offense would do a whole lot against Penn State's defense either.
3: All right, like the only offense on the weekend that looked that looked worse before the starters were pulled was Colorado and they had thirty nine yards, right? Like Oklahoma State's offense is better than Iowa's offense. There's some argument to be had when Iowa's best tight end was still healthy. I think once he's gone, it's like zero argument to mm-hmm. be had.
0: UMass offense, but with Foma or Iowa's offense. <laughs>
1: Uh, I would I would still prefer Iowa's offensive line to what UMass has up front. That's true. I'll take that. Now, up. if you want to put Fomichon on Iowa. Fomichon oh, is better than McNamara for sure. That's what I'm saying. Now we're cooking a little bit yeah. because now we have a QB who can make stuff happen.
0: <laughs> All right, so to fix Iowa's offense, we put uh, Tyson Fomichon from UMass at quarterback. We get the running backs healthy, and look, boom, eight-win team. Yeah. Right there. Probably.
1: <laughs> In, this, in the Big Ten West with that defense, yeah, that'd probably be enough to get eight wins right now.
3: I was really on the Iowa's going to win the West train. I thought they could be like slightly improved on offense. Same, and the rest of the Big Ten West is not good, or at least yeah. not great.
0: That, but that's the thing is like you're you're down on Iowa, but it's not like there is another team in the Big Ten West that you're jumping on with any kind of confidence. I mean, this is this is big, like six and three, and who has the tiebreakers?
3: Yeah, but I've downgraded Iowa more than any other Big Ten West team since the start of the year.
1: If if Wisconsin plays like it did at Purdue on Friday night and that wasn't just mostly a result of Purdue. Purdue's defense, Wisconsin is going to run away with the division pretty easily. But we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen. We will yeah.
0: see. They do have to play the Buckeyes, so there's one. Mm-hmm. We'll count them up. Coming up on the other side, every single Wednesday, our chance to do a deeper dive into some of the biggest matchups of the week. It is Big Game Breakdown. It's coming up
4: next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and 3-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
0: Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, sometimes you just got to break it down. We do it on Wednesdays. It's called Big Game Breakdown. We begin at Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado. USC, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Showing up to play Colorado. The Trojans are 21 and a half point favorites. Over/under of 73 and a half. USC, little bit of a slow start against Arizona State. That game was 21 to 13 at halftime, and they had each had about the same amount of offensive yards. Yikes! Can't have a slow start like that again. Uh, curious to see what it looks like for the Trojans in the first half. As Caleb Williams goes up against this Colorado defense, Tom, what's your, um, what, what are some of the matchups that you're looking at or some of the angles that really intrigue you about this game?
1: Uh, I mean, it's similar to last week. USC's offensive line isn't nearly as good as Oregon's. So there's some questions there. It's just. How the hell does Colorado get stops in this game? Like, how, how do they not get torn apart by this offense? It's like USC is going to win the game. To me, it's a question of how many points USC scores and how many points Colorado could put up against it. Because I do think this is a better matchup for Colorado's offense than Oregon was. But it, I also think that USC's defense is better Than it was last year. Like if you look at the numbers, like when it comes to success rate, points per drive allowed, EPA, they're not great. They're still mostly closer to average as far as nationally, but that's a pretty big improvement over what we saw from that team last year. The problem is they are giving up a ton of explosive plays, largely because they can't tackle. They're 89th in the country in missed tackle rate, which is you know not great so i do think that there is the chance for colorado's offense to at least make something happen in this game that they had absolutely no chance in hell in doing against oregon last week. And <clears throat> like we saw arizona state on saturday night with drew pine able to run the ball against this usc defense pretty not great but pretty consistently enough to stay on the field scatabo made some plays kept drives alive can colorado find a run game in this one i don't know that's the biggest question for me, but they're going to have to, I think, to have any kind of legitimate shot of keeping this one respectable. So that's really what I'm going to be watching more than anything here. Got some numbers for you. Um,
3: 545, 500, 520. Are those yards allowed? To TCU, Colorado State, and Oregon. Good offenses roll out of bed and put up 500 yards. On this defense nebraska is the lone exception and nebraska's offense is an absolute dumpster fire like self-inflicted you know dumpster fire i i'm don't feel like this is a big game breakdown right like this doesn't feel big to me there's other games i would rather discuss to be perfectly frank i understand why we do it because YouTube juices anything we talk about with Colorado, Deion Sanders, Colorado, no Deion no, Anderson, no no SCM, no, Colorado, no, no, no Sanders, no, no. Heisman, Pac-12, uh-uh. Colorado, Deion Sanders. But, like, it's it doesn't feel like a big game to me. If USC plays really well, they'll win by 28. Yeah, if but you're asking for something USC has not they'll, done. They'll, USC they'll has not win. put
0: together four quarters. This is a yeah. test for USC's maturity as a team that you're talking about to win the Pac-12 championship but and contend for a national How many times do you do big game That's breakdown awesome.
3: with a three-touchdown spread? <laughs> That, that's why it doesn't with, feel big with like, I'll still break Colorado. It down. <laughs> I did the homework. I will do my notes. Here are the players who played the most snaps for Colorado's defense against Oregon and where they came from. So if, let's just take off the Colorado off the helmet, and the, like these are the level of players their defense is dealing with against Caleb Williams. Selman so, I Craig was an all swack corner. Now look, I'll get hate for this. Blame Jeff Sagrin. The SWAC is one of the worst-rated FCS conferences. Okay, NFL draft and transfer portal largely agree with me on that, by the way. So it's not my take. Let's blame the NFL. Blame Sagarin. Johes Robinson, two tackles in his three years, three-year career at Alabama. Jeremiah Brown, 53 tackles in two years at Jackson State. Jordan Dominic, not a starter at Arkansas. I actually thought he was a pretty decent SEC, you know, reserve rotational guy. Juwan Mitchell, community college, then Texas, then Colorado, then t- or Tennessee, then Colorado. You know, okay. Uh, He's all right. Leonard Payne, 35 career tackles at Fresno State in like three or four years. Duke Cooper, actually thinks a decent player, got benched at Florida State, kind of lost confidence. I think he actually has a chance to be a pretty good one. Shane Cox was a good Ivy League player. Shiloh Sanders made second team all-swack in 2021. Taj Alston, who's in, I believe, his seventh year of college football, had 18 tackles in 12 games for West Virginia last year. Trevor Woods was on this terrible Colorado defense last year. And then their top reserves, Amari McNeil, who was like third or fourth string for Tennessee, Bishop Thomas, who was just complete scout team at Florida State, and Travis Jay, who was also scout team at Florida State. If we take the logo off and we take the hype off, I don't see the talent on this Colorado defense. There's a reason everybody with a pulse is putting up 500 yards. I think there's some chance Colorado can score a little bit on USC. But increasingly, teams are figuring out a way to play this offense, and I think this is a well-coached Colorado football team. For how inexperienced they are, like their ability to put all this stuff together has been extremely impressive to me. I think the coaching staff
1: is worthy of a lot of praise. It's it's easy they don't to defend guys this, defensively. It's easy to defend the Colorado offense now because you don't have to worry about stopping the run. Like you just drop eight and rush three, and you're probably going to get pressure at this point with that offensive line, and then make Sanders pick out from among your zone defense. Chip, you said USC has not played a four quarters. That's because nobody on USC has played four quarters. For the ah, most part. look at him there. Like they si- Caleb. They they had to play more snaps in the second half, obviously, this week against Arizona State because it was still close in the fourth
0: and quarter. And San but, Jose State.
1: But like there's no Caleb didn't play in the second half against is, San Jose State. Like, is Colorado's defense better San than San Jose, Jose or Stanford?
0: 21 to 14 at halftime.
1: Yeah, but how many fourth quarter snaps did Caleb play? I'm I'm
0: just saying that there has not been a full four quarter like we've we've not seen like USC ran it up on Nevada and they oh, crushed God. Stanford. It was 49 to three at halftime of that one. But there have been two games this year against arguably the two best opponents that they've played. God, Arizona State or Stanford. That's a coin flip. <laughs> um like
2: when I was and, uh seeing the Trojans play with their food a little bit. When I was in Tallahassee, when I was at Florida State. I had a lot of friends that were DGs, Delta Gammas. Um, I like to study with them because I'd go over there before an exam and they had this little folder. It was all the old exams that were in there. So I'd go over there and hang out. We'd prepare for our exams together. It was great preparation. You know what else there is now? There's a head coach's book that goes around too that coaches like to share apparently you no know, i I just got texted from 25 head coaches that sent me the game plan on how to beat Colorado. You know how it? You know what it says? It says, "Run it down their dang throat." Is what it says. <laughs> it's that whole thing was such a joke. Um, I'm with. I just think it's going to be very similar to what happened to Oregon. The only intrigue, I think, is who they get points in the second half to potentially get a backdoor cover. Because what I saw and Bud was onto this from day one. They're gonna, I was shocked that Shador was out there in the fourth quarter in a blowout when he's mm-hmm. getting killed. Why are you risking his season getting him hurt? So, but that does tell me what Bud was saying. They want to give him some stats, mm-hmm. want to make sure they get up there. So that's really the only thing that I think provides intrigue to this game. Second half, do they cover back door? Does it hit the over? Because I think USC, you mentioned them not playing a full four quarters, and this is something Colorado. Like they, Dion, I'll say Dion, but even like his son and the social media team, they are writing checks now that Colorado cannot cash because they're still doing this. Hey, we're going to talk a lot of smack and it is waking up the opponents. And you saw Oregon's players, not Dan Lanning, their players after the game, talking about what this game meant to them. It's going to be the same thing against USC. It's all about how invested are they? Do they pull their starters late? I think this game is absolutely dominated by USC as long as they want it to be.
3: Yeah, Colorado. We also don't know. Like Xavier Weaver went down in that in that game late against Oregon. Again, we're trying to get our guys' numbers, but there is that risk if you play all those snaps. He, uh, I saw him on the sidelines in one of the the, one of the, the videos. Because Colorado doesn't have open practices except for their like in-house, you know, reality show thing that they do. Uh, he was on the sideline joking around, did not jog at all. Then I saw him in the yellow jersey stretching, but he did not uh, run any pass routes. At least not in practice. Now I think the fact that he's out there stretching with the ankle that he had uh, may imply that he will play. I, I, I don't know if he doesn't play, that's a really big deal. Um, I kind of want to talk USC a little bit though. Caleb is doing a ton of Mahomes stuff this year. Like, he's not playing within structure very much at all. USC's offense is not really in sync from a passing standpoint yet. They are running the ball fairly well. Like, Marshawn Lloyd, the the kid they got from South Carolina in the portal, is like a legitimate stud, it looks like. Uh, I don't know if Colorado can do much about it unless Caleb really presses. Right. If he's willing, like Bo Nix took the profit. Colorado's like, hey, we're going to play a don't get blown out defense, which like Dion was managing the image of that game from snap. One. Oh, and Oregon it, was
0: like eight yards per play. Like that's yeah. exactly what we would like to do.
3: No doubt. Like that Colorado wanted to limit explosives. They punted in opponent territory. They did not want Oregon to win by 60. Dion's not an idiot. Dion didn't talk any smack that whole week. He knew what was coming. I think he understands the quality of player. That some of these teams have versus what he is now. His players talked a ton of smack, and that's why Oregon's players were so were so you know fired up. And if you watch all their TikToks, they they sampled some of that stuff that that the players were putting out. Um, but Colorado, if they play this drop eight stuff again and and just complete like don't blitz, try to slow the game down. when in the red zone, if Caleb's not patient, he could throw a pick or two,
1: and and turn things around. You know. We talked earlier in the show about like offensive linemen protecting their quarterbacks, and we we're talking about you know Connor Wegman suffering friendly fire. I think the only thing that could really stop USC in this game is if they keep snapping the ball into Caleb's nuts. Like you have to be on the better lookout for your QB. You can't be doing that to him. This is the Come leader on. of your team. You can't have him you know doubled over in pain trying to catch <laughs> his breath. That's just not going to work.
0: Um, a couple years ago, uh, an Applebee's campaign. Came out of a Kansas victory against the Texas Longhorns. Now, Kansas is not quite the underdog. I mean, they are an underdog of 17 points, but Kansas is nationally ranked at number 24, Texas at number three. Um, but what's your what, what's the matchup or storyline that stands out the most to you about uh, the Longhorns test here in the Big 12?
3: I I really think that it is. Uh... Texas' defense against Kansas's offense. Kansas has one of the, the absolute most fun offenses in the country. I'm going to botch his name, uh, but at uh, Andy Cotelnicki, I think it is is how we say it. Kotl Nicky, yep. Cottle Nicky. Dude is great. Like they they mess with safeties, they manipulate coverages, they, they they create coverage busts, yet they like they find creative ways to run the football. Daniels, the quarterback, is is really good at operating that system and and can at times make some some hard throws. Uh I don't think Kansas is amazing at receiver. The the Grim kid is kind of like a hybrid receiver tight end guy. I do like him. They really do such a great job of putting their guys in good position. However, and there is a however here, a lot of it is based off the run game. And if Texas is able to shut down this run game out of a too high look, or just, you know, you may have have to go a little one high, but like not, not just everybody screaming downhill every time. If Texas' defensive line can Kansas' problems uh, to where it doesn't really matter how experienced Kansas' offense is and, and the, like they all play together and they run such a great diversity of scheme, if Texas can just whip them up front, which honestly like they did a pretty good job of against Alabama uh, and they destroyed Baylor over the weekend, which we know has problems. But still, if Texas can whip them up front, then you might see Kansas' Struggle Because I don't know if Kansas is a great play from behind team if you don't have to care about the play-action stuff that much.
2: I don't think this game, this matchup, is that dissimilar to the one we were just talking about. Really? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's there's 17 a mismatch yeah. in the trenches. And that's my big concern, too. Because Kansas is running the ball. I think they're 12th in the country. Uh, you know, they're rushing over 200 yards a game. Good luck doing to, to get that. Last year, we saw Texas and kind of got to have it embarrassed the year before. Rushed for 400 yards. Against them last year, I kind of like Texas. It's in Austin. It's back home. I just feel like Austin had the wake up call against Wyoming. I think they're way- and I think like the good and the bad was a couple years ago. Kansas, what a great story. They beat Texas, but there's like zero chance of look ahead. I think this is kind of one of those bad matchups for Kansas. I think I think they're going to get pushed around a little bit in the and ch- in, in the trenches. And the only thing that I think can like neutralize that is Jalen Daniels. I think their offensive line could struggle.
1: I think their defensive line is pretty good. They took some transfers over the offseason on that defensive line, and while I think Texas's offensive line is very good and it's going to be the toughest test they have faced so far, that from what I've seen from the Jayhawks' defensive line, it is saltier than I think most people realize. In fact, you know who the number one defense in the country is having have it great right now? Huh. It's the Kansas Jayhawks. They don't get a ton of pressure. They don't really get home to the QB. They win a lot of battles. They get a lot of running backs in the backfield. They blow some stuff up before it really gets started. And that, I think, is going to be a key for Texas if they can keep the pocket clean for Quinn Ewers. And another thing I think is going to matter in this game, because this is just a funny matchup to me. You'll remember Texas beat Alabama because Quinn Ewers was dropping rainbows 70 yards, you know, big touchdowns. Texas needs to do that because Texas has been awful in the red zone, Texas in the red zone right now ranks 106 nationally in touchdown rate. Once they get inside the 20, at 50. percent But you know, a defense ranks 102nd in red zone touchdown defense. Kansas. So this is going to be a battle of a team who can't score in the red zone going up against a defense that can't keep you from scoring in the red zone. I think that'll be a critical point. Whichever one of those two spots does better, I think could lead to a you know an outcome here. But I. I think Kansas has a better chance to cover the spread than I think Bud and Danny do. I don't. Yeah, know. I that mean, doesn't mean I'm going to pick it as perceptions. A- they they
3: don't do a lot of stupid stuff that like they, they don't give you a lot of easy stuff. You have to go out there and execute. And if Texas executes with the level of athlete Texas has, like they really
0: play crisp, they'll blow them out. Yeah, but, but like, they have like, dude. Right, Texas, that's what I'm saying. Texas yeah, gives like, it up. Texas had two muffed putts. Like Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy gifted scoring opportunities to Baylor. The problem is it's Baylor led yeah. by Sawyer Robertson. And so I think you had an interception and a turnover on down. Zero points came from those. If you do that against Jalen Daniels, Jalen Daniels is going to make you pay. I think Texas, Texas's run game is still kind of finding its legs. I don't think that that is a consistent aspect of the way that this offense hums. I This is the, this is the best quarterback that Texas's defense has faced. And I think that this is going to be a situation where if Texas is sloppy, then it's going to get a little bit sweaty later into the game. They were sloppy against Baylor, but Baylor wasn't good enough to make them pay. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm big on Texas. I was very, very um, very much of the belief this is the best team in the Big 12. I would like to see Texas in the college football playoff just because it would finally be uh, an opportunity for that program and that head coach to capitalize on what has been seen as, you know, a high ceiling that has not been reached in a very long time. I think that's a good story fun to talk about, but in this game I I think that Texas's uh, inability to be crisp and execute well in all phases of the game could end up hurting them uh, against a team like Kansas.
3: One last thing on this. I, I do have a hard time getting out of my mind. Like I watched that Texas Kansas game last year. It was 55-14 in Lawrence. Mhm. Like The quality of athlete did not look similar. The Kansas defense, all through spring, they were worried about their defensive ends, right? Texas has good offensive tackles. Now, Kansas in the interim has played two kind of dumpster fire offensive line situations at the time that they played them. Like Illinois did not look put together in that game. The The right side of Illinois' offensive line is an absolute mess. Yeah, and BYU has been a poor offensive line team all year. Nevada is obviously a joke. If, I'm just saying, like, last year, they the caliber of athlete was not similar. It, it, I have a hard time getting that out of my mind.
0: Are we going to see an Ohio State hangover for Notre Dame against Duke? Because last year, that hangover was so bad, they lost to Marshall at home.
1: No, because they've spent the entire week counting players doing... Doing, I'm sorry, I cheated on my wife's sit-downs to explain what happened and that it's never going to happen again. It was a moment of weakness. Um, No, I don't think so. I Notre Dame lost. My opinion of Notre Dame in that game after did not really change at all. I still think it's a really good team. And I yeah. think that it's got a very good shot to go on the road this week and beat Duke. But
3: there's some candidates
1: in Duke.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In that, like, Duke does not generally beat itself. Yeah, Duke is going to make you come out and take it from them. You know? Notre Dame has not been able to hit explosive plays with its outside receivers. Okay, Clemson, a similar team, unable to hit those explosive with the outside receivers. Duke largely handled them. Clemson would move the football, but they wouldn't actually punch it in. I think Notre Dame can be a much better red zone team than Clemson due, due to some of the physicality the, the the run game, etc. Uh, but I mean, look, this Duke Like I think Duke has the better quarterback in this game. Woo. People will get mad about that, but I'm I'm taking Riley Leonard over Sam Hartman. The problem is the rest of Notre Dame's players, I think, are are pretty solid. Duke has better receivers, but like you know, on D, like Notre Dame's a decidedly better defense than Duke is, and there there may just be an athlete edge here that that shows through.
2: I would push back and say. One game, give me Hartman, future, potential, give me Riley Leonard. And he is a freakish, freakishly gifted – I mean, I think I sent you guys the dunk, the 360 dunk, like mm-hmm. he was an yeah. insane athlete. He hasn't played that much football. He's still like – he's he's his arm talent is not that great on the top end. Maybe some of that's exposed by they don't have elite receivers, but he doesn't have a cannon. Uh, he is an electric runner, though, and he can take over games just like he did against Clemson. My thing in this one, you guys mentioned it a couple times, like Clemson did give them that game. Yep. You know, like more games are lost than they are won, and it really felt like Clemson lost that game with the red zone opportunities. I don't think Notre Dame makes the same mistakes, but I do think Duke, I think they can keep this close, close-ish. You know, I mean, they they don't make mistakes. They have, you know, Riley Leonard has zero touchdowns. I mean, zero turnovers. You know, he's careful with the football. They don't make that big mistake. But then I think you also have to consider too. It's not only against Duke. Notre Dame, has kind of dominated the ACC, you know? like mm-hmm. so. That's another factor that comes into play. I do think they have a class of athlete that is a step above Duke. If they're ahead of Clemson and North Carolina and these other teams that they beat last year, and that they beat routinely almost every year, I'd say it's probably going to play out the same.
1: Yeah, I I think we. You know, you mentioned. Duke doesn't you know beat itself I think that's a very good point because if you look at the numbers from them defensively like success rate down to down they're 64th which is you know pretty average but as far as points per drive they're seventh they're second in stop rate or whatever you want to do it whatever you want to call the stat where it's like how many times do you allow points out of possession and they're sixth in explosive plays allowed like they don't give up the big plays they make you go 10 11 12 plays and we saw with Clemson they kept making mistakes when you kept forcing them to go you know seven yards at a time but are those numbers skewed because of that clemson game or is that just who duke is i think we're going to get a much better glimpse into that in this game because as you mentioned but notre dame has the defensive edge in this game i think they are better than duke as far as talent wise too easily yeah can that offensive line of notre dame just kind of control this game can notre dame wear them down keep riley leonard off the field and wear that defense down so in the second half, kind of like we talked about you know, the last few years when Notre Dame would be playing North Carolina, can they wear them down, just over overwhelm them physically, and take the game over? Because we saw, too, defensively, Notre Dame last week, Ohio State won, but it's not like Ohio State looked like Ohio State. For the most part, Notre Dame did a, as good of a job as I have seen a team do Limiting Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka. Like Ibuka made a great play on the final drive to set up the touchdown. Harrison got his catches at some point, but for the most part, those two were minimized as well as you can minimize anybody. Duke might have better receivers. Notre Dame's got far better corners. And if they can slow yep. those guys down, I don't know what Duke is going to be able to do. Like Riley Leonard is going to have to have a spectacular game. He's probably going to have to run for a lot of yards, mm-hmm. I think, to give Duke a chance to win this game. I like the Irish. I know that they're coming off an emotional big game. I think they're going to go on the road, win, and cover. I think this could be a two-score game.
0: You know, ifs, buts, candies, nuts, and all that. But uh, it's the Henderson touchdown run. Travion Henderson's touchdown run. The huge Abuka play at the very end. Like you, you remove like three plays from Ohio State's offensive production and Notre Dame. Kept what we believe to be one of the best offenses in the country 100% in check. Uh, It felt like they Mm -hmm.
2: lost that game. I mean, speaking of the the Clemson Duke game, it felt like Notre Dame lost that game. I felt like the broadcast was already moving on. You know,
0: like it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, the game's
2: over. Everything's good. I mean, they were were out coached.
3: Like I I thought Ohio State out coached them. I, I thought Notre Dame's players played their butts off. I mean, but like to have two consecutive plays where you have 10 men on the field, Ohio State sniffed out the screen call. Right. Like not the entire defense, but JT did. Right. Like they I I thought Ohio State was a better coach football team in that game. And I thought Notre Dame staff kind of let the players down a little bit. Not a ton. It was a close game against a really good Ohio State team. Notre Dame's still a really good team. That's on Lou
1: Holtz, though. That's
0: definitely on Lou Holtz. Um, Last time. (laughs) Hold on. Did
1: Did you see Lou Lou still going at him?
0: Yeah, he's oh, Yeah.
2: ain't yeah,
1: back in town. <laughs> he's 86. mad at me just because he doesn't crap.
3: want to talk about Michigan. <laughs> Got his glass of white wine at the Buffalo Wild Wings just, just sitting there firing off tweets at, at Ryan Day.
0: Uh, last time that two top 20 teams played in Wallace Wade Stadium was November of 1960. Wow.
1: That's yeah. been a long time.
0: Big... Big game, and uh, to your point, you know Danny's sitting there rocking the uh, the North Carolina shirt right there. Um, it reminded me I, I believe it's the 1997 season. Early college game day is showing up. it is you know 1997 is the last time North Carolina was four and0, Florida State's coming to town. Keenan Stadium is absolutely rocking. you're there early, and by the end of the first quarter we knew who's who and what was what. The line of scrimmage was absolutely dominated. And all of your little like, all of your hype about this four zero start just gets slowly crushed in a twenty to three loss. It's just like slowly squeezing the life out of you. And I I have thought that in my uh, different ways that this game could go, it could be something similar with Notre Dame going to play Duke, where they just
2: they just lean on them the entire game. Uh, you know the last time they were like this, like the '95 season was my senior year. They were really good. And they came to Tallahassee, I think undefeated, like mid-October. They might have been 6-0 and or something like that. And it was, you know, they were good. And then we kind of Same put thing. down a, Yeah, we clamped yeah, down yeah. a little bit. It's like,
0: oh, that, that's cute that you were the best player in Scotland County. You know, like, right. you know, oh, oh, cool.
2: Like, here we go. I'm one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Womp. Yeah. You know what was cool? Only time this ever happened, Fred Goldsmith was the coach uh, at Duke sent me a handwritten letter after the game saying, like, congrats, you're a great, great player, great game. Never had that ever happen since and before then. It's a pretty classy move. Nice. Duke guys, they know how to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, the are classy types. Uh, Friday night, big test for Utah coming off that UCLA win. They've got to turn right around and go to Corvallis. Uh, the Beavs, of course, coming off that loss to Washington State. What do we think comes out of this, uh, this big-time Pac-12 game?
1: You know, we talked about this game on Monday or Utah on Monday. Talked about how they're undefeated, they're beaten up, they're flying under the radar. Nobody's talking about them. There's another thing about Utah that we have to mention. And we talked about a team earlier in this show.
0: Oh, it's just Iowa with different colors. Correct. Okay, trade out black and gold for red and white. Utah <laughs> it, is Iowa, 100%, <laughs> all the way down to the defensive touchdowns.
1: And can that go on the road on a short week? And play another good Oregon State team that offensively has been, you know, hasn't been great, but they can run the ball. Utah's run defense hasn't been spectacular so far this season. This this is going to be the most interesting Utah game I think we found because I expected last week's game to be a lot better against UCLA with Dante Moore and that very good UCLA defense coming in. Although I think the Utah game does also skew those numbers a little bit, but. It obviously didn't happen. The musts got to Dante Moore and the Bruins pick six in the first play, and it was pretty much a wrap from that point. So now the Utes are going on the road to play Oregon State. We're going to learn a whole hell of a lot more about the Utes in this game than we have to any point this season. And also, is this the week Cam Rising comes back, bud? Have you been monitoring the point spread for any signs of his
3: return? We are monitoring the situation. Uh At this point, I, I think the point spread imp- implies that he's either out or hurt, like playing but hurt, uh, maybe not 100%. I, I Corvallis is worth something, certainly, but a 100% health Cam Rising makes Utah a better team than Oregon State, right? Uh, what game was it last year that, uh, that Utah didn't have Cam Rising for, by the way?
0: It was Oregon. Washington State. Well,
2: the Pac-12 championship. Or no, they had them then. What, was, what yeah. game was it? I think it
0: I'm was pretty it sure it was State?
2: Washington State. It was one of them Pac-2 schools.
3: <laughs> I I actually kind of like Oregon State's matchup here. Um, Oregon State, all credit to Washington State, as we gave them on the Monday show and the Sunday night show. Like Their passing game is legitimately really good. Oregon State's defensive backs were also a bit of a disappointment to me. And I don't know that Utah, with, but especially without rising, are, are like perfectly suited to, to take advantage of that. And so far, Utah's defense has played out of its mind without some of its top guys. But you've also had some major problems from the opposing offenses. Obviously, Dante Moore, freshman, going in to, you know, to, to Utah is extremely tough. Florida just completely – like, I know Florida's offense is not great, but, like, it's better than what it showed – at Utah, and they just completely self-destructed. Like they, it was immature. They had a bunch of false starts and, and penalties and whatnot. Uh, I do generally trust Oregon State's offense to play a relatively clean game, even if I don't think DJU is, you know, the silver bullet for that offense. So, if Cam doesn't play, I I do think this is where kind of the Cinderella run for for shorthanded Oregon or uh, shorthanded Utah stops.
2: I'm glad you mentioned DJU because he came out of the gates firing. It was like, oh, this is a great spot for him. Clemson was struggling. Like, See who made the mistake? Maybe the problem was both. Like The combination of DJ and Clemson with an offense that we saw last year were part of the problem because the last two games he hasn't played great now that he's played against a little bit better competition, under 50%, both of those games, more interceptions than touchdowns. This, to me, has to be a DJU game where he steps up because I don't think They're going to run the ball as effectively as they typically do against most opponents because Utah's front seven is like, yeah, keep running it at us all day long. Um, Nate Johnson, I mean, this, this to me is one of the stories of the season because they're winning without Cam Rising. I mean, this is Kyle Whittingham playing with house money, being like we're undefeated and we haven't had our guy, who I do think is a big difference maker for that offense, I just think it's. I think it's really interesting to see if he does try to play, or like Bud has talked about, do they try to, you know, just hold him out for that buy? When's the bye week? Is it one more week or two more weeks for the bye week? I think it's two more weeks for Utah. Yeah, like do they? St- it's longer? It's the week after this, I believe. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's the so, week yeah, after- like, do, they, do they try to? Do they try to sneak in one more? You know, and I don't. And I don't know. I do think he could be the difference in this one, or. I think you're going to see extremely ugly, low scoring game.
0: Um, go, yeah, go it is. The bye week is after this week, and then when they get back into action on October 14th, it's Cal. But then at USC, Oregon home, Arizona State, then at Washington. So in a four week period, they're at USC, home Oregon, at Washington. If you think that the extra week is going to be able to have Cam rising at a hundred percent, that is when the PAC 12 title race will be decided is when all those teams are playing each other. Cause some of those other ones, you know, the Oregon Washington game is a little bit later on in the season too. So should be uh should be a crucial time. If you think you're going to be able to continue the good Iowa, this not necessarily, you know, 2023
1: Iowa, this, I, I can't think, I can't help but think, but you know, like Chip, in the last few years you would talk about, you know, when Clemson was in a big game, you would talk about big game Dabo.
0: Yeah, conservative.
1: I can't help but think of big game DJ and Mm. how he has performed in some of those games. And like Danny, you mentioned the last two weeks, here are the numbers. He's 31 of 64 for 482, two touchdowns and three interceptions. That's, that is the DJU that we saw Clemson far too often. So this is a big game. I think this is a big moment for him. And I do think, you know, if he has a good game, Oregon State could win this one, obviously. But the thing that I really think they have to go for is, even though maybe it's what Utah wants you to do, I think they have to, like, lean on the run game because with Damian Martinez, that is what they're best at. And if you look at it, it's part of the reason they're able to score, because they are the number one red zone offense right now. They have scored touchdowns at 92.7% of their red zone possessions, whereas Utah ranks 14th nationally, and only allowing touchdowns 40%. So that is going to be a crucial part of this game. Can Oregon State not only move the ball against this defense on the ground, but can they finish drives in that spot? Can DJU make plays to get them in the end zone? Because – Utah is not going to give you a lot of scoring opportunities. You have to take advantage of it. But on the flip side, Utah is probably not going to have as many scoring opportunities as we've seen them in the past if Cam Rising is once again out because they haven't shown the ability to do it yet this year. So it's going to be a very interesting game. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be close. And it could just come down to somebody making who who makes the fewest mistakes might leave this one on Friday night. And that tends to happen on these short week games.
0: We spent a lot of time talking about Ole Miss. There was a question in the chat about why LSU Ole Miss was not included. I will be fully transparent. I feel like we have just been bagging on Ole Miss. Okay, We we were dogging them going into the Alabama game. We dogged them in the instant reaction show. We continued to just pick this group apart. Um, Do you think that we see a circle the wagons Saturday in Oxford as Lane Kiffin gets the boys fired up with LSU in town?
3: So we're all just tired of Ole Miss too? (laughs) Like what?
2: (laughs) Doesn't that feel like a locks play? Give any away early? No, I've
0: I've got I'm I'm, I will be attacking that game, but it's from a specific angle. I'm not going to take the two and a half because I do I do not trust LSU as far as I could throw it. Right? I mean, it's just a hundred percent. I could see them laying an egg, but that is not Ole Miss rising up to take down the mighty LSU. That would be LSU losing it, finding weird ways to do so.
1: That's the thing. I am officially on the record as saying I think Ole Miss stinks, but I also <laughs> think I also think Ole Miss can take advantage of the LSU defense. So it's yeah, it is a uh, it is it's an interesting spot. I think I think it's huge for LSU. Like if you don't win this game, I think we can write the Tigers off as far as an SEC West kind of competitor because this this feels like a must-have. So it is a tough spot on the road for Ole Miss.
2: Oh. I mean, Shouldn't it be just as big though?
1: Yeah, but I—I I mean, here's all right. I'm just gonna do this. We spent a lot of time this year and this week talking about Dion Sanders and Colorado talking a lot of crap and not being able to back it up. And we see how the reaction to that has been. He has a lot of friends in the media. He has a lot of enemies in the media. You know who doesn't seem to have any enemies? Lane Kiffin. Because Lane Kiffin has built a career out of talking a lot of crap about opponents before big games and then losing that big They're game. Like the Cubs.
3: <laughs> like the like Ole Miss is like the lovable loser. It's fun. You go tailgate in, in the grove like Wrigleyville. They never win anything. We don't ever expect them to actually win anything. Occasionally they have some pretty exciting players. You know, I, I guess the Cubs did win a World Series at you know, one time, but that
0: Ole Miss yeah. has never played for the SEC championship. Mississippi no. State has played for the SEC championship. Arkansas has played for Will the SEC Ole
3: Miss ever play for the SEC championship in our lifetime now that it has
1: expanded? No. I would what? say no. You'll, <laughs> notice, you'll notice he's a lot quieter this week. That's all I'm going to say. So maybe they do have a chance to win this game because he's actually focusing on winning the game instead of trying to figure out the way to troll people on the internet and get likes and
0: retweets. Like how Pastor Hugh was out here saying how we shouldn't hate our rival. Didn't that sound like a coach yeah. that was about to just get run at home?
3: From a football standpoint, there is some chance that old Miss' receivers get a hell of a lot better during the season because they've been operating either completely without pre-scoring Harrison Franklin or with like really banged up pre-scoring Harrison Franklin. And the backups are just not good players, not yet. Some of them, are, some of them are, are old guys who are not good. Some of them are young guys who are not ready. They are getting all three of those guys back, slowly working on the offense. They still don't block anybody. Tulane messed them up up front. Georgia Tech, which has a bad defensive front in my opinion, gave them legitimate trouble for a lot of that game. Bama ragdolled them. So, I mean, LSU has really good guys up front. LSU doesn't cover anybody. So maybe Lane is able to scheme up a lot of wide-open guys. Entirely possible. Old Miss back-end is not great either. Ole Miss has played not a good passing offense in Georgia Tech, kind of a one-read, you know, thing. Bama, which doesn't really pass the ball at all, and two lanes back up.
0: Oh, and uh, by the way, that Georgia Tech passing game that you just uh, slandered here had more than 300 yards passing right. on this.
3: LSU if not, can throw the turnovers That
0: score is really, really close.
3: Yeah, those LSU receivers are studs.
0: Um, and then one last one. When we get together on Saturday night, will Clemson be 0 3 in ACC play? They are playing against Syracuse in the no. Dome.
3: Nope. I am extremely concerned for the long term trajectory of Syracuse this season. 25 carries for Schrader against Purdue, 14 oh. against Army. You don't have Gadsden. You don't have Jones. You don't have Trevor. I don't know who they're throwing the football to. We've seen Schrader get hurt before. Clemson has a pretty good defense. Like, if Clemson gets focused here, Clemson should hold them under 10 points. Like, Syracuse should not be scoring on Clemson if Clemson comes correct,
2: especially not down those weapons. I but still think like
1: this on that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think Clemson has a good culture. I think they'll be. I think they'll they'll use these first two losses to galvanize. I don't think they're going to quit. Like some teams, you'd be out of this race. You'd worry about them. I think they go out and I think they put a beat down on Syracuse.
1: I might be taking an alternate spread on this one just because I think there is a very there's a decent likelihood that this one can get out of hand.
0: And I wanted to play the Dino drop before we got into this game (laughs) and the next couple of games because after Clemson comes at North Carolina and at Florida State. So,
1: also, Dino, please feel free to play this segment for your team. Fire them up. I don't think think it'll be easy, though. Yeah. Syracuse has
3: a real defense. Not not, not amazing, but like they're, they're like a legitimate top 35 ish defense. Like it's not like Clemson, can just roll the ball out there and score 50 or 30.
0: They have not played. Uh, elite offenses, but they have done a very good job against the run against the opponents they have played.
3: Mm-hmm. They'll create some confusion. They'll make you dump
1: the football underneath. Clemson will have to be, be patient here. I, yeah. Yeah. I was able to get Clemson minus six and a half the other day. Well, I like crept under a touchdown for a minute, and I'm very happy with that.
0: So that means your alt's going to be 13 or 12 and a half?
1: Somewhere in that area, maybe. I mean, as yeah, long as it might numbers. be as large as they will let me go, Chip. Might it be, be like, they'll let me go. Like ladder up, baby. <laughs> what ten and a half plus seventy-five? Yeah. Or if you just use the sliders that all, all the way to the right. That's, That's what, what, what I'm, saying. What I'm just just go, saying. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna see what the most line. they'll do. Maybe they'll even be like a profit boost I could use to really juice that thing up. We'll see. We'll see.
0: We got ourselves a classic money line, alt line scenario. We're going Syracuse money line and Clemson to minus 19 and a half. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> we will be back. On Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the best time of the week with our full slate of week five blocks. So come and join us live because we move the lines and you can. Follow him on Twitter at Tom Brunell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott3. You can follow him at Danny cannell You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
2: See ya.